Coming up this evening on NTD Business. The Russian invasion of Ukraine now threatening the world's wheat supply. We take a look at the challenges and who could be worst affected. Oil prices jump again today. The U.S. and allies agreed to release some of their oil reserves, trying to reassure markets there'll be enough supply. And Russia and China moving ahead with a massive natural gas deal, potentially the biggest ever between the two countries. That and much more coming up on NTD Business. Great to have you with us. Paul Graney here live from New York City. Day six of the Russia-Ukraine war. Heavy fighting continues in and around Ukraine's major cities with Russian forces firing at capital Kyiv's main TV tower today. The Ukrainians reporting five dead and another five injured. Russia also reportedly hit other civilian sites in Ukraine, including residential areas in Ukraine's second largest city. The mayor of Kyiv says Ukrainian troops will continue to defend the capital city. President Biden today talking to Ukraine's president. The White House saying the U.S. is offering the embattled country economic and security assistance, as well as humanitarian aid. And along with kinetic war, we also have an information war. American tech companies and American tech companies are now restricting or blocking Russian state media on their platforms. After pressure from European officials, RT and Sputnik, two state-backed media companies in the Russia, are now blocked on Google's YouTube for anyone in the European Union. YouTube is also blocking Russian state media within Ukraine and tweaking its algorithm to limit recommendations to those channels. Twitter, meanwhile, making it harder to see tweets linked to Russian state media organizations. On Friday, Russia said it was restricting access to Facebook in the country after the platform blocked Russian media. Facebook's parent company, Meta, says Russia demanded Facebook Stop fact-checking Russian media content. So along with kinetic war, information war, we also have economic war. U.S. payment card firms Visa and MasterCard have blocked multiple Russian financial institutions from their network. We don't know yet if this will affect service for everyday Russians. The credit card companies say today's move is to comply with sanctions designed to pressure Russia to stop its invasion. CNBC reports the U.S. added certain Russian financial entities to a blacklist last week, blocking American companies from doing business with them. It's unclear if this is what prompted moves from Visa and MasterCard today. Other Western allies have imposed a string of financial sanctions on Russia, targeting the country's financial, energy and transport sectors, as well as its export controls and visa policy. But now the Russian invasion is threatening global wheat supply. There are no sanctions banning Russian food imports, but the war itself is creating real problems for supply chains and exports. Anthony's Evelyn Lee has more. Together, Russia and Ukraine produce over a quarter of the world's wheat supply. Prices of wheat Tuesday rose to their highest level since 2008. Out of the 207 million ton international wheat trade, 17 percent is from Russia, the largest wheat exporter, and 12 percent is from Ukraine, according to Bank of America. At the moment, the U.S. and the EU haven't banned imports of food from Russia. Andrei Sizov is the managing director at an analytics firm for Russian, Ukrainian and Kazakhstan agricultural markets. He says as of now, sanctions are not the problem. He says there are still some banks that are not cut off from SWIFT, and they also have other ways of communication. 
The biggest problem, as I, as I mentioned, it's just a war itself and ports are closed. No one is willing to send their vessels to the region. He says exports for both Russia and Ukraine are currently close to zero. Bloomberg reported that some Russian exporters are still fulfilling existing contracts. Uh, but uh, I don't think it will last for long because ship owners probably won't uh, send any ships to the regions anytime soon because of no insurance or just crazy insurance rates. Bloomberg Intelligence reports that shortages of food and energy could cause prices to soar. And we're already feeling the impact. Wheat futures in Chicago jumped nearly 9% Monday. That's the highest they've been in more than 13 years. But while it's a problem here, poorer countries will be the hardest hit. Consumers in places like Egypt, for instance, already spend around 50% of their income on food. On the other hand, farmers in the U.S. and the EU, among other producing countries, could benefit from the export disruptions. Sizov says in the best-case scenario, the disruptions will only last a few days, and after a few weeks, things will recover again. But it's more likely that it'll take more time to be resolved. Evelyn Lee, NTD News. Global supply chains were already struggling with soaring prices. Now, flight bans connected to the crisis in Ukraine are likely to make things a whole lot worse. Transport between Russia and between Europe and Asia looks hardest hit, with airlines there having to cancel or reroute flights between the two regions. Longer flights means more fuel used and higher costs. Carrying more fuel also means carrying less cargo, again driving costs higher. Back in December, air freight rates were already 150% above 2019 levels. Now cargo prices look set to go even higher. Down on Wall Street today ended sharply lower. Ukraine crisis deepening there. The Dow fell 598 points, one in eight tenths of a percent. S&P 500 lost 68 points, one in seven tenths of a percent. The Nasdaq today dropped 219 points, also one and six tenths of a percent today. In a bit of cool sur- surging oil prices, 31 countries have agreed to release 60 million barrels of oil from their strategic reserves. WTI, a key U.S. benchmark, jumped over 11% today to $106 a barrel. The group of countries say the move is about sending a strong message to markets, namely that there won't be any shortfall in supplies due to Russia's military offensive. Half the oil or 30 million barrels will come from American strategic stockpile. But keep in mind, Russia produces 10 million barrels every day per S&P Global. Sanctions on Russia over its actions in Ukraine have raised fears of oil supply disruptions, but the sanctions themselves haven't barred oil and gas imports. European countries are rethinking their reliance on Russian energy, though, including Poland. Natural gas pipeline will resume construction, linking Poland to Norwegian supplies of natural gas. It's been halted for 33 months over environmental concerns. Poland gets half of its annual gas from Russia. And the value of Russia's currency continues to fall today as sanctions continue to hurt the economy. More businesses are ending operations there. So how can Russia get out of its financial woes? Today's fake quarter has more. Inflation continues as more companies stop business in Russia. The bank runs are continuing as the EU prepares to delist seven Russian banks from SWIFT. 
financial analyst Lance Roberts speculates Putin didn't expect such a strong reaction from the rest of the world. He never thought for a minute that all 30 NATO members would unite because that's what it required in order for NATO to get involved to provide arms or support to the U to a non-EU, non-NATO country. Roberts sees one way out for Putin. You've got to reverse your policy, withdraw troops from Ukraine, stand down, find a peaceful ending and conclusion with this fairly quickly uh, with NATO. Otherwise, this is going to continue to get far worse. The problem is ultimately for right now, Russia can't trade. So how do you get more imports into your country, right? Nobody is willing to sell them products, goods, or services at this point. So in order to, to provide food or other things that you need, again, Russia is very deep in oil and natural resources and rare earth metals. But unfortunately, that doesn't put food on your table. That doesn't put clothes on your back. Robert says Russia's central bank can't do much because nobody wants to buy their debt. Issuing debt is a key tool central banks use. Professor of Economics, Roman Sharameta agrees that appeasing NATO and stopping the invasion is the main way out. I've spoken to some people who do business in Russia and basically there's just too much of a risk for them. So uh, they're pulling out in Russia. The only thing that they're trying to do is stop that outflow of money. So um, to be honest, there's not that much to be done at this stage, but to pull out of Ukraine, uh, the uh, China, yes, it is. It is a, a big economy and Russia has a big dealing with it. But, you know, uh, it's obviously China is not going to save Russia. China is looking for its own interests and they will take advantage of that as well. So, uh, again, I, I don't I don't see the way out. Sharameta left Ukraine one day before the invasion and he still has friends and family there. He says the Russian economy will collapse if it doesn't pull out. If you're going to go with any, you know, reasonable economists from the West, they'll pretty much probably repeat the same thing, you know, that this is it. This is, uh, I mean, they will uh, they, they will collapse below the Soviet Union times, their economy, and I mean, they'll be like North Korea. Refiners outside of Russia are currently hesitant to buy Russian oil. And Rifesin Bank, a big bank in Russia, is doing away with its dividends to keep cash. Faye Quarter, NTD News. But China doesn't seem to be following the West in sanctioning Russia. Gazprom, Russia's state-owned and largest natural gas company, is planning a substantial pipeline deal with China. The deal is potentially the biggest ever between the two countries. Edith Don Ma has the story. Details of the pipeline's construction were discussed yesterday amid the ongoing Ukraine invasion. And if Russia reaches an agreement with China, the pipeline could carry as much as 1.8 trillion cubic feet of natural gas to China per year. So having this steady supply of natural gas, um, this will continue to power China's manufacturing sector. And that makes it attractive for Western companies to move their, their manufacturing plants there. And then it also creates a greater reliance on China for goods and for services. This move comes in contrast to some Western countries' actions against Russia. Germany halted certification of the Nord Stream 2 Russian natural gas pipeline. And for China, Russia is its third biggest gas supplier, meeting about 5% of Chinese demand. China already has a 30-year, $400 billion dollar uh, natural gas uh, uh, supply contract with with uh, various entities in Russia. Uh, and so this is just expanding upon that. 
And for China, it's a, it's a question of just having enough energy to fuel their economy, right? Economists say that China isn't too worried about the geopolitics of working with Russia amid the Ukraine invasion. China is more concerned about its own economy. Uh, China's not really worried about uh, distancing itself from Russia in a geopolitical sense. So for them, this is just the economic decision moving forward for them to do that. And I think as long as China is able to get a steady supply of oil and gas from Russia, they'll cooperate with Russia. Energy expert Daniel Turner says China's relationship with Russia is not built on trust, but on profitability. And those types of relationships may not last. Don Ma, NTD News. Russia is China's number two oil supplier, supplying about one-sixth of its imports. China's number two coal supplier as of 2021. Just last month before the Beijing Winter Olympics, China and Russia signed oil and gas deals worth an estimated $117 billion. Joining us now to discuss the fallout from the conflict is Brent Sadler, Senior Fellow for Naval Warfare and Advanced Technology at the Heritage Foundation. Brent, great to see you. Thanks so much for coming on. Well, thank you very much for having me on this afternoon. Brent, you've been watching this closely as we all have. You also have specific expertise on China. Do you see deeper cooperation forming between Russia and China as Russia is all but isolated from the rest of the world? Certainly. I, I look at this uh, from an event in 2019 in July where both the Chinese and Russian strategic bombing forces circumnavigated Takashima or Dakto Island in the Sea of Japan and created quite a stir. And ever since then, we've seen, at least there's been quite a few folks and deeper experts that have noted an increasing level of military information sharing and military operational, if not combined operations, definitely coordinated globally. This is something, these are more than we've seen before this conflict in Ukraine. Absolutely. I think what we're going to see, right, everything is overshadowed by the degree and the, the scale of military operations ongoing in Ukraine right now. But that's not to say that there isn't information sharing, the Chinese reporting on U.S. and allied disposition of forces that could be informing and enabling Russian activities in Ukraine right now. That, but that would be something that is very much in the shadows. Uh, the other thing to watch and something I'm very concerned about is in the South China Sea and East China Sea, conditions right now, this time of year, are actually trending towards uh, a type of wind and sea state that make a small scale crisis or standoff much more likely. The history is that most of the time there's been a standoff in that part of the world. It occurs about this time of year. We've heard some commentators say that, well, China has a lot of investments in Ukraine. Some have said they don't actually agree with what's happening in the Ukraine. We hear other people talk about maybe it emboldens them to, to take over Taiwan, et cetera, all different theories and, and kind of expertise coming out. How do you feel this benefits the Chinese Communist Party and its global ambitions, say, medium to long term? Absolutely. So there's a couple of things that I think the Chinese Communist Party is going to be watching. First off, I wouldn't pay too much heed to political statements or diplomatic statements, nor the, the isolated uh, complaints by a single Chinese company or even a few of banks of doing business in Ukraine. I think the national interest, the Communist Party's interest, overrides that. And so their military will be watching and learning as they make calculations for any kind of an event in Taiwan. How do Ukrainian armed forces 
fare with Western weapons and Western training against the Russian armed forces? And then secondly, how effective is the U.S. government in rallying the world to effective economic sanctions, timely and effective, I'll stress that, as well as a collaborative or unified effort to isolate Russia? And they'll take the lessons of those two and apply in the context of a crisis or an invasion over Taiwan. And very quickly, Mr. Sadler, do you feel that China and, and I believe Russia, but let's focus on China, do you think they're looking at the, the kind of seriousness of the sanctions and almost the ferocity of the sanctions that were placed on Russia and thinking, okay, that there's a lesson there for us to learn? So far, I do not think anything is a surprise in either Moscow or Beijing. I think the, the timing, the scale, and the application of the sanctions was anticipated. And I'd point out for one, China in 2015, so this is at the time of the uh, massive island building campaign, implemented or started their own equivalent of a financial transfer system like SWIFT. They have their own. And that's it. while it is limited in scale, it still exists. It is a, it's a vehicle in which they could use to mitigate the isolation of them financially. And Russia likewise has created their own in just the last few years. So this could be the impetus that actually is needed for the Chinese to get more participants to a yuan or RMB-based financial sector. We've heard so much about the digital yuan as well. A lot for us to talk about. Brent Sadler, Heritage Foundation. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having me on. With that, we're going to take a quick break, but still to come this evening. Coors Light going greener, introducing some of its plastic packaging, replacing it with a more plant-friendly material. And a galactic collision caught on camera. We take a look at the new image from NASA, that and more, coming up on NTD Business. back. Many people are quitting their jobs to start their own businesses during the pandemic. One way to get your own business up and running is to join a franchise. We talked to an expert to get some advice. So for this week's Entrepreneur Spotlight, we're joined by a gentleman who can maybe inspire you to become an entrepreneur and maybe give you the tools to do it as well. The franchise king, Joel LaBaba. How are you, Joel? Good to see you. Hey, great to see you, Paul. Joel, what have been the hot franchises or the hot trends as we've come through the pandemic? Well, you know, during the pandemic, uh, I would say if I was going to define uh, the franchise trend in one word, it would be delivery. Um, take Domino's, for example. Interesting story because they had an infrastructure in place already for touchless purchasing so consumers didn't have to touch any cash. Uh, their technology was so good that when the when the pandemic happened, they just breezed right through it. And uh, they've done very, very well uh, up until now. Uh, it's interesting. I just read a story that uh, the issue they're having has nothing to do with technology. It has to do with humans. Uh, they're having a tough time finding drivers again. 
so that that you know slows things down but any any franchise that offers delivery services even now i don't think it's going to go that that far away uh is is something to look at you know make sure if you're looking at a franchise to own one day that if it's a product they sell they offer delivery it's really really important consumers are used to it now you thinking of any changes uh, anything looking forward beyond delivery uh, beyond delivery, the, the hottest trend right now, once again, I have to go back to food, chicken. I have no idea why, but places like Shaquille O'Neal's, Shaq's Big Chicken, uh, all of a sudden is opening in arenas and they're opening in, in restaurants and cities. Uh, Raising Cane's is another really hot chicken franchise. Uh, they're doing so well, they've stopped selling franchises for a while. So I'm not sure what the chicken craze is all about. But if you're looking to get into food franchising in particular, uh, I don't see chicken going away. I don't think it's a fad. But see if you can choose something that, that offers that type of food. You might, you might be on the road to success. So say, for example, let's take Shaq's Chicken Shack. Uh, what's the process? Say I'm, say I'm an entrepreneur. I want to open up a Shaq's Chicken Shack in my neighborhood. Well, what's, what's the first step? The first step is really... And I know this may sound counter, counterintuitive, but the first step is to look at yourself and make sure that you are right for a franchise business. It's not like you just go open the door and, and unlock uh, you know, the key to riches uh, because it's a franchise. You have to do the work. And in food service especially, a lot of food service operators want some food service background. So if, if you have a food service background or if you think you'd be good at it, uh, the first step is to take a look at yourself, to look at your finances, and then simply to contact headquarters. Shaq's Big Chicken, just, just Google it and go online and request information, and the conversation will get started. There you go. Joel Lubava, the Franchise King. Appreciate it. Thank you. You got it. Coors Light is going greener in 2022. The largest beer brand in the United States announces getting rid of the plastic rings that hold the cans on its six-packs. They'll now be replaced with a cardboard wrap that is sustainably sourced and recyclable. For the next three years, Molson Coors says all of its brands, including Miller Lite and Blue Moon, will also use the same packaging. Plastic rings have long been criticized by environmental groups who say they pose a threat to wildlife and cause pollution. Coors officials say the cardboard has received positive feedback in the countries where it is already being used. Then an amazing new deep space image captures a literal war of worlds between two colliding galaxies. Let's take a look. An epic intergalactic battle was recently caught on camera in the heavens above. I, no, nope, no, definitely no. This is a newly released image from NASA showing the aftermath of a head-on collision between two galaxies. The amazing image captured by the Hubble Space Telescope shows two galaxies, NGC 2444 and NGC 2445, which scientists believe collided and passed through one another, igniting a battle of star-birthing domination. This galactic tug-of-war, experts believe, is being won by NGC 2444 on the left. That galaxy's massive gravity gravitational force is pulling gas from its companion on the right, forming the unusual triangle shape of star formations. 
That's the latest business updates for today. You can still catch Entity Evening News with Stephanie at Cox at 6.30 p.m. Eastern. For Entity Business, it's all for today. Thank you for watching. We'll see you tomorrow.